0: Well, good morning, Wellspring Church. Uh, I always wondered why Jason acted so awkward after having to do that, and now I know. Uh, but, But this morning, we are continuing our series titled Against All Odds. And what we've been doing over the last several weeks is looking at different resurrections in the Bible as we lead up into Easter. And I don't know about you, if maybe it's your first Sunday, um, or maybe you've been here through the journey, but it has been really exciting, and I've been really challenged to the series about, as we've looked at, resurrections in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. But as I've been listening, like many of you, to these sermons, the thing that struck me is about the emotion that comes before the resurrection right because what a resurrection means is that someone was dead and then a miracle happened and then someone is alive and we always talk about the joy on the other end of the resurrection of the amazement and the miracle and the excitement but what about the emotion before that what about the emotion of, man, I am in a moment of seeing someone that I love or care about die, and seemingly it feels like there's no other options left, and I'm struggling, and I'm wrestling, and you know I'm just filled with fear, and there's nowhere left to turn. There's nothing left to do. And many of us, when we're in a moment like that, we're stuck in a sense of desperation, Well, in this series Against All Odds, we've kind of themed it around the idea of baseball. And so today, I thought I would share with you a story from baseball history. Now, for those of you that know me, you might say, Graham knows stories about baseball? (laughs) Uh, Full of surprises. So today, I want to introduce you to a guy named uh, uh, Lou Brissy. He was a baseball player in the 1940s. And uh, in his, like, when he was 16, 17 years old, he started playing in high school, and man, he was a really good baseball player. Uh, he was a pitcher, and he started kind of taking note, like coaches and, and kind of scouts were starting to take note of him, and Lou's dream was to play in the major leagues. Like that was, his whole life was about one day, I'm going to play in the major leagues. And he was actually about to get drafted to a major league team out of high school, but then something called World War II happened. And as he was about to get drafted into the major leagues, he was actually drafted in the army, and he was stationed in Italy, and he was fighting during World War II. And, and then somewhere along the journey, he was caught by an uh, artillery fire, and a dream that he always had about playing in the major leagues in an instant went away. And you see, when that artillery fire hit him, it destroyed both of his legs and as the story goes he was dragged into one of the medical tents and the doctors are looking at his legs and and they're looking at him and saying lou there's something there's no other options left there's nothing else left to do lou we need to amputate your legs and it talks about the struggle that he went through of saying my only dream was to play for the major leagues and now i'm at a crossroads i'm at a crossroads of what do i do and He said, listen, I don't know what I'm even saying right now, but you have to save my legs. I'm a baseball player. And the doctor said to him, Lou, maybe you don't understand the severity of the issue. If we don't amputate your legs, the likelihood that you are going to die from infection is very, very real. And he said, well, I'm going to have faith in the sake of faith and please just keep my legs and do whatever you have to do. So the doctors listened to him and through the miracle of penicillin he was saved miraculously but the journey was not over he was honorably discharged in the military ended up going back to the states and began a three-year journey of having over 30 surgeries in his legs because his legs were broken in over 30 places he had 20 blood transfusions and three years later he had crafted custom leg braces where locally he was able to get on the mound again and start playing baseball. And this was like a miracle. This was crazy. And and little did he know that someone was watching his journey. There was a coach of the Philadelphia Athletics. The coach there at the time was watching Lou, and he was seeing what he was doing, and he was seeing his determination. He was seeing everything he was putting into playing baseball again. And, And three years later, he reached out to Lou and said, hey, do you want your shot? So three years later, he stood the mound in leg braces and would on to, go on to have an incredible baseball career in the major leagues playing in Philadelphia. Now, we hear stories like that, and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Like, man, that's like a Hallmark movie. Like, this is an incredible story. A man who was in a, a place of desperation and chose the way of just having faith. But all Lou had was faith in the sake of faith. So a question when we hear a story like this is, what do we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we're in a place of desperation? What do we do when we're in a real place, not just to play baseball, but I'm talking about real things, real things of desperation, like we go home one day and on the counter are divorce papers. And we're saying to ourselves, there's no other options, there's nothing left to do, there's no one left to talk to, I'm out of options, and I'm in a place of desperation. What happens when it's financial ruin, we get the letter in the mail, and what we thought was our future is all of a sudden gone, there's nothing left, there's no one left to talk to, there's nothing left to do, and we're stuck in a place of desperation, or it's broken expectations, or it's addiction, or whatever it is, fear is controlling us, fear is overwhelming us, and we're left with a question of how do I break free? Well, if that is you this morning, I have hope for you. Today, we're gonna be in uh, the Gospel of Mark, and we're gonna unpack a story about a very sick child And I'm not talking a little sick, I'm talking very, very sick. And we're also going to hear the story of a desperate dad who was willing to risk it all. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 35. But before we jump in, I need to catch you up on where we are in scripture. Uh, So the passage we're going to be studying this morning is what's called the sandwich technique yes that is a very theological term the sandwich technique and what it means is is that there is a story within a story and you see jesus had just got back doing some incredible miracles there was this guy and there was these demons and there was these pigs and like it was a crazy story and jesus wowed everybody and and then he gets on a boat and he starts sailing back home and as he gets off the boat a crowd begins to gather jeez And Jesus gets off the boat and is introduced to this man named Jairus. And you see, Jairus was a religious leader of the day. And not only was he a religious leader, but we're told that he was the ruler of the local synagogue. You see, Jairus would have been a man of great wealth and access and influence. Like he had it all together. He had normally all the answers. But you see, Jairus had a problem a problem that his access couldn't solve, a problem that his influence couldn't solve, a problem that his wealth couldn't solve. His daughter was sick. And I'm talking about really sick. And scripture would tell us that his daughter was on the brink of death. Jairus was desperate and maybe that's you today. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you feel like there's no other options. I've tried everything. But you see, maybe at our lowest point is the best opportunity for you and I to see a miracle. So, okay, so Jesus gets off the boat and Jarius starts pushing through the crowd and he's introduced to this guy named Jesus. And Jarius starts begging Jesus, Jesus, please heal my daughter. And this is a crazy thing. This is a crazy thing because, again, Jarius was a Jewish leader of the time, and Jewish leaders did not vibe with Jesus. You see, because Jesus was threatening their authority, he was threatening their influence, and Jarius, in this moment publicly before a crowd, publicly before his town, begging this man named Jesus to heal him, was risking it all. He was risking his position. He was risking the respect he had in the town. Like He was at a place of risking everything. But here's the deal, he knew that there was this man named Jesus. This man named Jesus who had done some things, and he had made miracles, and there was something different about this man. And even having a little faith, Jerry decided in this moment, I am willing to risk it all for my daughter, because this man can heal. So Jesus responds to Jairus and says, yes, I'll I'll heal your daughter. So Jairus and Jesus and the disciples and the crowd begin moving through the town. And while they're moving through the town, little did they know that there was another woman in the crowd who needed a miracle too. And then we learn about this woman who was in the crowd and it says she had been sick for 12 years. And again, we're adults in the room and it said she had an ongoing period for 12 years and this was really bad. It said she had gone to all the doctors, she had spent all her money, there were no other options left and then she heard about a man named Jesus. And it says that culturally, like she was a down outcast and and she had no other options left and, and we don't even know her name. But this woman had enough faith to start sneaking through the crowd and she thought to herself, if I only could touch the robe of Jesus, I know I would be healed. So she starts sneaking through the crowd and she finally sees Jesus and she touches the garment of Jesus and this woman is instantly, miraculously healed. So Jesus stops and he says, who who touched me? I, I felt power leave me. Who touched me? So the crowd stops and This woman says, it was me, I just wanted to be healed. And this is this crazy moment where where everything stops and and the woman says this to him and Jesus says, it's your faith that can heal you. I mean, this is an incredible moment. But here's the deal. Jairus was still standing there in the crowd and, and I'm, I'm imagining in his head saying, like, this is a cool moment. I'm, Jesus, I'm really thankful that you're doing these miracles. I'm really thankful that you're doing this, but um, my daughter is, is sick. Like, not only kind of sick, like she's really sick, like she's on the brink of death. Like, like do you remember me? And that's where we pick up in verse 35. Verse 35 says this in Mark chapter 5. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, so while Jesus was still talking to this woman, having just performed an incredible miracle, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus turned back to the ruler of the synagogue and said, do not fear, only believe. Catch this. In the middle of Jesus talking to this woman, in the middle of Jesus talking to this woman and saying, it is your faith that healed you and and go and live in peace And this incredible moment, Jesus overhears a conversation of Jairus getting terrible news that his daughter is dead. And I can't even imagine getting news like that myself, but but I can't even imagine the thoughts that would have been racing through Jairus's head. In an instant thoughts of grief, the daughter I love, the daughter I care about is gone. Just standing there in the midst of the crowd, just wrestling with what am I gonna do? What am I gonna tell my wife? How am I going to move forward? I'm sure there were thoughts of anger. Jesus, I thought you were the guy. Jesus, I know you can heal, but I don't know you have the authority over death. Jesus, did you forget about me? I mean, this woman had been sick for 12 years. Are you telling me that you couldn't have waited, she could not have waited another 30 minutes for you to go heal my daughter in order so my daughter could be healed? Jesus, I thought you were going to heal on my timetable. I thought you were going to perform the miracle on my timetable. And then instantly this man is filled with fear of what am I going to do? I risked it all. I thought this was the man who was going to heal my daughter. And then Jesus looks at Jairus and says something so simply yet so directly. He says, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. What Jesus is saying in this phrase is despite all circumstances, despite what you believe, the facts are telling you, that I am present with you, that I have not forgotten about you, that I work in my time, not your time, and believe in this moment and watch what I can do. And at this moment, Jarius is at a crossroads, is do I trust the facts? Do I trust what I know to be true? Do I trust my own wisdom? Do I take in this situation, back my control, and say, I'm just going to do it myself? Or do I simply trust and believe and put my faith in Jesus? I was thinking about how I needed to illustrate this today, and my guess is that someone in this room needs to hear this message a believe and watch what I can do. Because here's what happens. Before we say yes to Jesus, the Bible tells us in Second Corinthians that we are blind to the glory of God. That we can't see our, our situations or see our circumstances through the eyes of God. But the minute we surrender our life to Christ, the minute we believe in Jesus, it says that God takes the blindfold off and we can start viewing our situations and our circumstances and our hearts and our lives through God. But here's what happens with us as Christians. I want you to imagine that this is how we view our circumstances, right? This is an eye chart. I have glasses. Um, Heather calls me four eyes. Um, So this brings up a lot of emotion for me. But I want you to imagine that these are your circumstances. So here's what we do as Christians. When God has opened up our eyes to look at our circumstances and to see clearly... That we're not looking at our circumstances from a human perspective, but we're looking at them through a godly perspective, who God is and what Jesus has done and what he's capable of and how he loves us. What we tend to do as Christians is we start, the blindfold that he saved us from, we start to put that blindfold back on. And as we have this blindfold on, we have this blindfold on of fear. Fear. And so when our situations come up or when our circumstances come up and we're trying to look at our circumstances, all we see is fear. Well, God, I know, I know what you say you are, but all I, I've chosen to pick this fear blindfold back on and now this is all I see. And what God is saying is, do not fear, only believe. And what God is saying to you in this moment is, maybe it's time to take the blindfold back off. That you have been trapped in fear, that you've been wrestling in fear, and God is saying, I have saved you from this. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you a spirit of power. But so often we choose to pick the blindfold back off, and, and when we look at our circumstances, and we look at our struggles, or we look at our marriage, or we look at our kids, or we look at our health, we're limited by our emotions instead of walking in the truth of God, that God wants to do something in our lives. You see, Jarius didn't have big faith. He didn't even have bold faith, and he also didn't have faith in faith. Some of us, I, I, as a pastor, I hear people come up to us, oh, I have faith, you know? Yeah, faith in what? Because the only thing that can save us, the only thing that can set a miracle in our life is the person of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, Jarius made a decision at a crossroads, to say, I'm not gonna fear, and I'm only going to believe. Well, it continues on in verse 37. And it says, he allowed being Jesus, no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And, And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those that were with him and went in where the child was. There's a couple things I want to pull out here. First, um, Jesus invited Peter, James, and John. Uh, These were his closest disciples. These were the three men that he was really pouring into. And in this moment, he wanted his followers who had faith. He wanted his disciples that had real faith, bold faith. He wanted the ones that were going to help him in this moment. The second thing is, um, Jesus rolls up on a wild scene. Back in the day, this was very culturally normal, that when someone died, you were hire professional mourners, people that would professionally cry. I mean, Heather you would crush (laughs) crush that but like this was a normal scene and there was commotion these were people that were professionals at recognizing death so these were people that knew what was happening and this girl had died the town was aware and jesus rolls up and says something absolutely crazy well crazy if you're not jesus and Jesus says, this child is not dead, but is sleeping. And the crowd begins to laugh at Jesus in this moment. And there is another crossroad for Jairus. Jairus in this moment has to decide, is he going to trust the crowd? Is he going to give in to fear again? Or is he going to trust Jesus? Um, there was a time of my life, I've talked about it before in my early 20s, when um, I started making all the wrong decisions. I I started hanging out with the wrong people. I started making the wrong decisions. My relationship with God was so far gone. Um, And it was a time that I had broken up with Heather, and man, when it came to, if someone were to look at my life, my spiritual life, there was nothing left. And it began a journey of me making all the wrong decisions and all the, just making tons of mistakes. And, and God finally started really pursuing me and knocking on my heart and said, when are you done being an idiot and when are you going to start pursuing me again? And I was presented with a crossroads because when I started to realize that, I started to kind of having my foot in both worlds. And what I would notice is when I started to pursue my faith again, or I started to try to restore my relationship with Heather, there were certain voices in my circle that would doubt my faith. And they would start doubting my relationships, and they started laughing at the name of Jesus in my life because they didn't believe the same things I believed. And I was at a crossroads to say, what voices am I going to listen to? am i going to listen to the voices that doubt god or am i going to listen to the voices that want to build up my faith in christ and my guess is that someone in this room today needs to hear that lesson of what are the voices that you are allowing in your circle that maybe god wants to perform a miracle in your life or god wants to show you something new in your faith but the only voices that you allow in your head are those that are contrary to the voices of god And so there might be a moment for you to say, I I need to to remove my say, maybe for a temporary season, because these voices are not encouraging me. I'm trying to break free. I'm trying to take a next step, but all these voices are doing are laughing at me, and all these voices are doing are criticizing me, and I'm trying to follow my faith, but these voices are pulling me away. Who you surround yourself with is who you become. Who you surround yourself with is who you become, and maybe you need to start pursuing a community that is encouraging to your faith. So Jesus enters the room. He brings Peter, James, and John and the parents, and and we continue in verse 41. It says, "'Taking her by the hand, he said to her, "'Talitha kumi,' which is Arabic, which means little girl, I say to you, arise.'" And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. I mean, this is an amazing situation. The miracle had happened. The girl arose. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. In this moment, Jairus learned a powerful lesson that in the presence of Jesus, death loses its hold that Jesus is the God of miracles and that Jesus declares that this isn't this girl isn't dead anymore, but she calls her to arise and she arises. The miracle happens and she is fully healed, not kind of healed. Jesus didn't heal her back to her sickness. Jesus fully healed her. In fact, she was hungry. She wanted to eat. That's what Jesus does. That is the kind of miracles God performs. He doesn't do half-hearted miracles. No, he heals all of the way. And this is our, kind of the thought I want to drive home today is that faith in Jesus brings healing power. Faith in Jesus brings healing power, not just for our circumstances, but also for our souls. Now listen, here's here's something I need us to dig into. When it comes to miracles in the Bible, when it comes to miracles in the Bible, it's not about the wow. Like the wow is important. Like the wow is cool, like it says they were amazed, but it's never about the wow, it's always about the what. That the message of Jesus is real. The miracles that Jesus performed, the miracle Jesus performs in your lives is always about the what, that the message of Jesus is real. And that faith in Jesus brings healing power. But here's something I want to talk about. I want to have a real conversation. As I was thinking this, and I was thinking about my life and those I love, what happens when the miracle doesn't happen? Or maybe I should probably say it like this. What happens when Jesus doesn't perform the miracle on our timetable? What happens when Jesus doesn't perform the miracle I think he should perform? I mean, haven't we all been there? Haven't we always been in a season where we're praying for something? We're praying for a marriage only to find out that the marriage ended up falling apart. Or even praying for that diagnosis. We were praying for that person on the prayer list about their health situation and we're seemingly praying for a miracle of healing in their life and then the healing doesn't come. That finance situation, we've just been begging God to work in and it just, it just doesn't seem to be happening or it just doesn't seem to be happening as quickly. We want to say, like Jairus could have said in that moment, Jesus, are you there? Jesus, did you forget about me? Jesus, am I, are my prayers even getting to you? Like, do you even hear me? Do you even remember and here's the thing that we need to remember in, this, in those moments of what a thing about faith. As we grow in faith, two things happen. Number one, as we grow in faith and then we put our faith in Jesus, our hope grows because we know who Jesus is and we know the power that he has. And he knows he, that we know that we're, he's worthy of our trust, but there's something else that happens or something else that needs to happen that as our hope grows, so does our perspective. Because as we look at our problems through the lens of Jesus, our perspective needs to grow to a point of saying, thy will be done. God, God, I know in my heart, I know how I want this miracle to happen, but I know that you are worthy of my trust. So when I'm going to trust you for a miracle, I also need to trust in how you're going to perform that miracle because your word says that you walk all things together for those who love God for our good. So I need to trust you that you're going to perform the miracle how you think is best. And the challenging thing in that moment is sometimes we may not understand or we may not see clearly what's happening, but that is the moment that we need to make sure that the blindfold is off. We're not looking through our situations in fear, but we're looking at our situation through the perspective of who God is. That faith in Jesus brings healing power. There's two things I want to walk through now when it comes to this text. The first thing is this, for some of us in this room, when we talk about faith in Jesus brings healing power, that faith in Jesus might need to be for the person who hasn't put their faith in Jesus. And this is so critical. Yes, the miracle happened, but the miracle that can happen in your life is you finally getting to a place where you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It says in Romans, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That our sin separates us from God, but when we believe in God, and we put our faith in God that He's willing to save us. It says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He was raised from the dead, we will be saved. And the reality is there might be someone in this room today or someone watching online that has never gotten to the place of putting their faith in Jesus. That you might be at a crossroads too, just like Jarius was, and and you have to decide, am I going to keep doing it the way I've always done it? Or maybe in this moment I have to recognize that I am separated from God, but if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, that he is loving enough and trusting enough and that he will save me. Again, because I don't need big faith. I don't need bold faith. I just need to have faith in the person of Jesus. The next thing, the person I want to talk to is for those of us that are Christians that need a miracle. My guess is there's someone in this room that absolutely needs a miracle. But, But maybe you have been in this place where you've been living with the blindfold. You've put that blindfold back on and all you're seeing and all you're doing and all you're looking at your problems through that blindfold. And the reality is that maybe some of you have forgotten who your Jesus is. That maybe some of you have forgotten that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That we serve the Alpha and the Omega. We serve the Master, Savior, and Friend. We serve the Way, the Truth, and the Life. That is the God we serve. We serve the God of miracles. That is the God we put our trust in. Jesus is worthy of our faith. And maybe this morning some of you have forgotten that. Maybe some of you need to be reminded of who our God is. So, as we close, here's what I want to challenge you. On your seats, there is a card. And what I want you to do is some of you in this room need a miracle. There's something going on in your life that you need God to work in. What I want to challenge you to do is simply write whatever it is. This is just for you. Just to write that on this card. But here's what I want you to do. Because I, I, this is not a moment of me trying to manipulate or anything like that. What I want you to do is fold it over. And I want you to take it. And I simply want you to pray. You may not even be at a place where you wanna pray right now. Maybe you need to take this home. But Jesus is saying to you, do not be afraid, believe. Do not be afraid, believe. And do you trust me enough on what's on this card? So here's what I want you to do. Some of you in this moment right now, maybe out of faith can say, I believe on this card. So when I walk out of this room, I'm gonna throw it in the trash. This is gone, this is dead. Jesus, I'm trusting you. However you're gonna heal the situation, I'm trusting you. Some of you, this card might need to sit on your desk for a week because we're not gonna do anything half-hearted. We're not gonna pretend to do something. Maybe some of you need to take some time to really pray and saying, God, I know I've put the blindfold back on. I know I'm living in fear. I'm wrestling, I'm struggling. Jesus, help my heart to see what you want me to see. God, help me in my heart to see my circumstances like you see my circumstances. And when you can finally get to that place where you say, I am choosing to no longer live in fear, but I'm choosing to believe because faith in Jesus brings healing power. When you get to that place, you take this card and you throw it in the trash and you trust in Jesus who is worthy on our trust to perform a miracle in your life because we serve the God of miracles. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, I thank you that you see worth in us. God, I thank you that you are the God of miracles. God, I thank you are worthy of our trust. God, I thank you that you went to the cross for our sins, that you went to the cross in order for us to have a way to you. And God, I pray in this moment for those that, man, are just feeling so desperate. They feel like there's no other options. They feel like they're out of answers. There's nowhere else to turn. But God, in those moments, that is when we can turn to you. And so, God, I pray for miracles in this room. I pray for you, whatever that that thing that's laying on someone's heart right now, the thing that's burdering someone's chest right now, God, I pray for a miracle in that situation, a miracle that can be only pointed back to you and that, God, we can give you praise and we can give you glory for the work that you're gonna do in our lives, however that looks, and we're gonna trust in you, we're gonna believe in you, we're gonna have faith in you because you are the God of healing. Father, in your name.